Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us here on Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Matt Mitchell, the running editor at Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. This week on the show, I talked to Robbie Ballinger, who's put together a pretty insane resume of some ultra endurance feats over the last couple of years or so, all of which he thought of and planned himself. This list is long and includes stuff like running across the United States, which he did in just 75 days, attempting to run the most number of loops around Central Park in New York City during the park's opening hours. And a quick spoiler, Robbie actually ended up running a full 16 10-kilometer loops, or roughly 99 miles, in just 18 hours, setting a new record in the process. And a wildly ambitious project, he coined the Colorado Crush, which spanned a full two months and included running the Leadville Trail Marathon, traversing the entire Colorado Trail, then running the Leadville Silver Rush 50-miler, before then summiting all 58 peaks over 14,000 feet in Colorado. And to top it all off, Robbie then ran the historic Leadville Trail 100-miler. He did all that in just 63 days. But I had Robbie on to talk about his latest endeavor, In April, he set out to outrun a Tesla Model 3 across the Texan desert. So in this episode, we unpack exactly how all that went down, whether or not he succeeded, and a whole lot more, including a lot about his background. Robbie actually got into running relatively late in life, and how he eventually did is a pretty compelling story. We also talk about why he thinks a plant-based diet allows him to keep pushing his body like this, And he tells me more about his mindset entering one of these challenges. So let's get right into my conversation with Robbie. All right, Robbie, thanks for coming on the podcast today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I wanted to talk to you because I kept on hearing about a guy in Texas that outran a Tesla. And that is a headline that I think deserves some unpacking. So I learned a little bit more about your story And I think after what I've learned, you represent this really cool aspect of ultra running that feels kind of unique to ultra running and is like pretty original. You do all these challenges that embrace the notion that when we're doing these feats of endurance, I think, you know, regardless of whether or not we're in a race setting or not, what we're really doing is attempting to learn about ourselves and like what we're capable of. And I kind of think that a lot of people go through life not really knowing who they are. And for whatever reason, running these long distances has a way of taking us to these super raw spaces of self-learning. But then that's kind of why I think that like 100 milers are so attractive and like so many people get so much joy out of them is because just finishing them is like an accomplishment and a victory in and of itself. So I'm wondering how you got into all this. Uh, Because I know that you kind of started running like eight years ago, which is not a super long time. Yeah. uh, Yeah. So, yeah, you're correct. Eight years. um, I'm 37. Started running when I was around 29. For me, it came from a place of looking for some balance in life. I was living in Austin, Texas, running some restaurants, part owner in them, and had come up in the restaurant scene throughout my 20s in Austin. And with that came the work hard, party hard ethic. And I was living that to the fullest. I was doing both of those things really well. Uh, but there became a point where the, the restaurants, they were doing really well and the responsibilities of them were adding up and the partying at night wasn't allowing me to be the best leader I could be. And I started dating a girl who was a marathoner and she invited me out on a run 
and it was two and a half miles and that two and a half miles quickly escalated to half marathons, marathons. Two, I think it was two years later, I did my first 50 miler. Uh, so it was, it was a way for me to find accountability to myself, but also to grow. I, I just felt that really quickly. I felt stagnant in the party scene. Like I don't regret the years I did that. My twenties were great, celebrated them, but it was time for something new and running provided that. And, um, then it's just been, you know, a series of events have led me to where I am now, to where I'm really pushing these larger efforts, as you said, that are more like challenge-based than race-based. I definitely still compete in some races, but I find the most growth comes from me out of those experiences, as well as they are providing an opportunity to bring others into the effort, whether that be like my crew, and then also people that view it online, whether it be in real time on social media or films that we're working on to kind of encap- kind of show off these efforts. And I just think that that helps to encourage others to get out. You know, I'm not really thinking everybody needs to go out and outlast a Tesla and run 242 miles. But if I can encourage people to just be a little bit better and maybe it's just to get off the couch and start moving their body or transition from 5Ks to marathons, whatever it might be. But yeah, that's... That's kind of what I'm up to. Did you grow up athletic at all? Or was this kind of something you discovered um, later in your life? Yeah, um, I grew up in rural Georgia. So it was all like a team sports-based kind of community. And I did uh, excel at football. Uh, Believe it or not, I was an offensive lineman. So now being this like ultra runner that's more lean and, you know, skinny, uh, I was a bigger guy at the time. But yeah, so team sports growing up. And then after that, uh, through the 20s, through predominantly living in Austin, I got into fixed gear cycling for a while. But it was really just a way to cruise around town, go from bar to bar. Uh, but yeah, so there was a there was a lag there between like really like focusing on athletics in high school and then coming into this in my late 20s. And how did you end up in Austin of all places? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I grew up in Georgia. And then while I was growing up there, my mom's family was all in Dallas, Texas. And uh, I kind of had this wanderlust period in my early 20s, where I left Georgia and I lived in Alaska, and then down in the Virgin Islands. Um, and after about three and a half years of that kind of traveling, living as a traveler abroad, um, I got ready to look for something more stateside and my mom had moved to Austin. So I thought it was just going to be a short stop. But once you get there, as most people that have been to Austin know, it's a fun town and it was, it just felt like a great place to land. And 10 years later, I was, I was still, still doing it. And so you mentioned getting into like the restaurant industry. How did, how did that happen? Um, So in high school, I worked at a little uh like restaurant at the country club the golf course in my hometown and then when i decided to start traveling uh as i decided to move to alaska i realized that it was easy to score a job in a restaurant so i i found that it was a way to to get to move around like everywhere you go they're they're in need of a bartender so that was kind of where it started and then by the time i made it to austin i just fell into kind of the more fine dining like higher end food scene and really embraced it and learned a lot and and became, I think like, you know, very proficient at talking about food, talking about wine and creating vibes. Like I, I I think I was really good at creating culture and creating community within restaurants. And uh, so it just kind of went from there and there was a lot of renditions of it, everything from working at a wine bar to running a music venue to then these Neapolitan pizzerias, which was my last big venture, um, which 
was really great, but then there just came a time where I was just kind of burnt out, and uh, we decided to move to Denver, Colorado for my uh, girlfriend, who's now my wife, to go to nursing school, and that was when I really started to explore these longer distances and having the time to train for them, and that's where I came to the idea of running across the United States. So in 2019, I ran from Huntington Beach, uh, California, to Central Park in New York City. That's amazing. So before we get into that, you obviously went through a huge life transformation, but I'm curious if you kind of see anything that you expressed or like were talented in your restaurant career kind of like spill into your endurance and efforts. Yeah, I think so. Um, I really, you know, I think in order to succeed at a high level and fast paced restaurants, you have to have a really strong work ethic. And that was something I always had. My mom instilled in me from a young age. Uh, and then you know, honestly, the other one being being real good at like performing while hungover, <laughs> the partying to the to the working in restaurants. I think uh, that really lends itself to the same kind of skill sets you need to continue to push when everything hurts and you feel kind of awful, which can happen sometimes in these ultra events. And uh, yeah, I think that had a lot to do with it. I think you find a lot of people in the ultra space, maybe not a lot, but some that kind of come from a similar background. And I've talked to a lot of them about it. And I think it's one, yeah, that ability to kind of work through when you're not feeling so great, but also um, just like it's a transfer of energy, right? Like when I was partying a lot, it was just I had a lot of pent up energy. I wanted to place it somewhere and it was fun and it was wild. But you learn over time that there's other ways that you can express that. And for me, it came in putting one foot in front of the other and chasing long distances. Yeah, it's kind of uh, just abusing your body in uh, maybe a more wholesome way uh, <laughs> exactly. with running versus partying. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like sometimes after a big effort, I wake up the next morning and it's like, man, how many beers did I drink last night? It's kind of what it feels like, right? Yeah, there's definitely a, a similar hangover. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Cool. So let's get into your run across America because that was kind of like uh, your first foray into doing something like at a really massive scale. How did that come about? Because I know that like prior to that, you you weren't running, quote unquote, like professionally. Um, you had just moved from Austin, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we moved from Austin. I had sold my shares in the restaurants and uh, made this big move. And I was consciously taking some time off to reassess and figure out what I wanted to do next. I didn't feel like I wanted to be in the restaurant scene anymore. And uh, on that, I had a lot of time. And in that time, I was running and I was running to process things, to understand where I'd been, figure out where I wanted to go. And I kept coming home and telling my uh, my now wife, I would be like, I just wish I could run. And we'd both just kind of ha 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 laugh. And then I'd go about my business trying to figure out what was next. And then um, I went down to the Copper Canyons. If anybody that's familiar with Born to Run, I went down for that race, the Caballo Blanco 50, where you get to run against a bunch of Tatamara and other gringos that make their way down there. And I quickly was very inspired by the other gringo expats that were down there. And uh, what I found was that like not of them, not all of them were like elite runners, though they had found a way to make running the center of their life. And I found that really interesting and very inspiring. And one of the guys in particular was a guy named Patrick Sweeney. We didn't talk much, but when we did talk, he very nonchalantly told me that in 2015, he ran across the United States. 
And I was just floored. Like just the idea of that blew my mind. I, 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 I like the only person I would have known to do it was Forrest Gump. You know, like I thought it was a fictitious feat. Um, but to hear him say he had done it, you know, I sized him up. I was like, this guy's just the guy. Like he's obviously a talented runner. I feel like I am. I think I could do that. And then I came home and I was like, well, what would that mean? What would that look like? And I was had recently adopted a plant-based diet and was feeling um, a lot of weight from kind of the environmental uh, crisis we find ourselves in. And so I, saw, I thought, well, this thing's huge. It's a big opportunity for me to kind of start solidifying myself in the running world, but it can also provide a platform, a place for me to talk about something I'm super passionate about right now. So I just told, I told my wife on March 15th, 2018, that I was going to run across the United States a year from then. And I started my run on March 16th, 2019. So it was just at a year. And in that year, it was all about learning how to run long distances consistently. So upping my mileage quite a bit, but then also trying to find the sponsors. You know, that was probably the most difficult part of that challenge coming from someone without a big running background and trying to get people on board to support me through this big thing. And, you know, a lot of doors were shut in my face, but eventually I found the right partner and uh, was able to do it. So, yeah, that was my big first venture into, you know, multi-day ultra endurance events. Uh, we learned a lot along the way. I think going back, if I could go back and do it again, I'd probably start off things a little bit differently just because there's a big learning curve when you haven't done something like that. But we figured it out and, uh, yeah, made it across the U.S. in 75 days. That's So, what I am kind of curious about is what you did in that year in particular because I feel like you know, it's one thing to have an idea. We all have kind of aspirations, but it's another thing to really like put in the the planning to execute it efficiently. And I mean, your run across America was like a great example of doing something very, very like diligently and like having a, a plan essentially. Um, so I'm curious about who helped you construct like your training during that time leading up to, to that effort and who was your crew during um, your transcon run? Yeah. So for training wise, um, I pretty much devised my training plan myself and I kept it very simple. I'm a big fan of the acronym KISS, keep it simple, stupid. Uh, and so the idea being I broke it up into three parts. And the first part was I wanted to run consistently. I wanted to know that I could run every day, both like from a physical kind of spot and also mentally I wanted to know that that was something I, I could take on so I started by running 10 miles every day I take every 15th day off so two weeks on one day off and I did that for about three months three four months and then we I upped the mileage and I started doing more like 100 to 120 miles a week but still running consistently every day uh, sometimes it'd be 10 miles a day but then sometimes I do like a 30 mile run um, and then the third part being kind of continuing to keep that that, that mileage up, but competing in a lot of races. So I was doing like 50 miles, 50 milers to a hundred Ks every two weeks, kind of like back to back. Wow. And the idea being there, the idea being that like, if I could normalize the distance, if I could normalize 50 miles, then running 45 a day should be manageable. Um, and so that was really it. It was doing those. And then the races provided a mechanism to, start bringing my sponsors into the conversation. So I'd go to races and, you know, I'd be able to talk about who I was working with and show off, you know, you know, merch from them. Um, so that was kind of how I did the, the training. And then as far as for crew, um, I was really blessed that Shelly, my wife, her uh, family is very supportive, also a bunch of runners. And 
I'd spent so much time working through the logistics of finding the sponsors and training. I hadn't really bit off like how to execute it, the logistics for the actual effort. And it was, I started in March. So it was over Christmas just before I started. And it was pretty clear we were all back in Austin that I was a little underprepared on that side. So Shelly's family came in and we all sat down around a table for two days and we figured out all the logistics. We just started breaking it up into different like kind of parts that different people took on. So uh, her sister ended up being my crew chief and her parents were with me 20, 50 of the 25 of the 75 days. And her dad devised the routes. Um, her sister, Jackie is a was a plant has some plant based nutrition certification, so she handled creating my uh, meal plan and, and nutrition plan. And yeah, so there from there we started and from Huntington Beach, and it was at the start it was Shelly's sister, Jackie, her parents, and then we had picked up a uh, a guy down in Mexico. We went back down for that same race ride. Got it uh, originally inspired for this a year later, and we found. Uh, a guy down there named Elliot, and he was this British dude who had never been to the U.S., but was really inspired by what I was doing, and he ended up being my full-time crew member. So he was the one guy that was with me the whole entire time. And so, we, yeah, we started from Huntington Beach, and we learned along the way, and after about three weeks, we were a pretty well-oiled machine and just started, yeah, we just marched across the country. Yeah, I think, so running gets kind of, like, pegged as this, like, very solitary sport because, like, you know, it's not necessarily a traditional team sport i feel like everyone in the ultra running world runs for the people you know and it's really cool that like i think your experience has speaks to that right because it's impossible to run across the united states without like some like sort of help so i'm wondering if you can talk a little bit more about what it is about like developing personal relationships along the way that like keeps you running yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, you know, when I talk, often talk about my runs, my big stuff, I talk about we, not me, because it does take a crew of people to make it happen. And, um, you know, for me, I've just built a huge community through running. It was really easy to build a community when I was working in restaurants. There's people always around. And then, you know, stepping away from that, it, it, you know, there was a, there was a lag where I, I didn't know what I was doing, and therefore I didn't have a lot of people around. But now looking back over the last four years or so, I have built this amazing community through, through running and that being like those that support me and then along the way, finding people who I'm inspired by what they do and, and helping to support them and then meeting people at races and stuff like that. So it's definitely grown quite a bit. And uh, this most recent thing I did, the Tesla challenge, I felt like that was a real celebration of this. I, I looked around and I had all these people supporting me that really lifted me up and made it possible. And that being from still those same core people who helped me when I did my transcontinental run, but having now picked up like some like brothers along the way, um, I had out there, uh, William Gooch. He's a friend of mine who he's a British guy who I met through running, who I helped when he did joggle. He ran from the top of Scotland to the bottom of England in 16 days, 80, 850 mile effort. And then uh, I went over there again and crewed him through 4830, where he ran 48 marathons in 30 days. And um, so he came over, and this was the first time he was there to support me. But that was just really amazing, as well as Hella Sidibe. Um, Hella was the first black man to run across the United States last year, and he's like a brother to me as well. I helped him through that effort. So having these people coalesce around each other, where we're all kind of trading off, supporting each other, has created this bond and this brothership 
that I just value pretty much more than anything on earth. And, and now finding that these efforts just provide an opportunity for us all to get together and do wild things. And uh, I love it. It's, it's all about the people. That's really, at this point, why I do it, is to commune with all these awesome folks. There's something almost like otherworldly about the type of relationships you form when you're running with someone. And I don't know why. I think it I think a lot of it has to do with like the endorphins you're both experiencing. I often joke that like I wish I could record these podcast conversations like on a run with someone because some of like my best insights and like the better conversations I've had have been during like a three to four hour run with a friend or with someone I'm just starting to know. But I think uh, that'd probably make for pretty uh, poor quality listening listening experience. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it's true. It's like, you know, left brain, right brain start to connect in a way that does only really happens on the run. And it's this like it provides like I found this when I ran across the US. It provides this uninterrupted time to be with others. You know, like we're so now uh, distracted by so many things, whether it be our phones in our hands or, you know, there's a million things that can distract us, but you get out on a run and it comes back to kind of this primal level where it's just you and maybe whoever that's is you're out there with and you get to yeah commune and converse in a way that you can't. I think that's a nice segue into something I noticed when I was doing some research on your, your Instagram page is that all of your posts are, are very thoughtful. Um, and I'm wondering how you you think about using social media to um, promote these runs, but at the same time, not really kind of falling into some of the traps. Um, as you mentioned, like it can be a pretty, pretty big distraction for a lot of people. Yeah, thank you for saying that. Like definitely do put a lot of thought into, you know, the majority of my posts. Some are not quite as much as others, but uh, it is something I, I do try to do and looking for spots where I can talk through retrospectively about these efforts I do. I try to stay present in the moment. So I'm not really while taking on the effort, like, you know, I don't have my phone out quite as much. Uh, now it's at a point where I have other people capturing it, which is really nice. Um, but yeah, then going in after and being able to talk through the reasons, the whys, the hows of why I do stuff. It's important to me. I think like there's a lot of aspects of social media that are very toxic, but if we look for the right people and right things to follow, it can be very empowering. And that's something I try to do on my feed is look for people that inspire me, but I also want to be one of those for others. And, you know, it's like with any writing, there's times where I have all the clarity in the world and can just write, write, write. But then there's also these writing blocks. And usually when those come around, the great thing is, is it means I should go for a run and then I can think through things. A lot of these posts come come to my mind while I'm running for sure. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that perspective because I think it is like, as athletes in this sport with, who depend on sponsors, you kind of need to use Instagram or other social media platforms to a certain extent, right? Um, that's how you fund these projects. But I just, it's something I wanted to impart on you is that like, I, I thought that the way you handle your social media is really good. Awesome. Well, thank you. Yeah. So let's move into your next big effort after TransCon, which I believe was your Central Park Challenge, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So coming off of my transcontinental run, there was definitely a lull, uh, which I think a lot of us feel when we take on races or something that you focus on for quite a while. I got done and I felt really like I didn't have a lot of direction. There's a lot of depression that came with it, just like going from moving your body to that extent every day to stopping. It's just, I think, inevitably going to happen. Um, so there was kind of a lull between that when I took on the Central Park Loop Challenge. And it was coupled by COVID, you know, we all experienced where all of a sudden we were cooped up in our houses and we didn't 
know what we could do or should do. Um, but then on the backside of COVID, you know, about a year after after that, when we we first, I think, thought that it was over for the first time, um, I started thinking about things I want to do, dreaming up ideas, and also at that time got connected with Ten Thousand. Ten Thousand's my apparel sponsor, and they were about to release their first running capsule, their first uh, the distance kit is what they called it, and they wanted to find a way to test it, a way that you know we could put it to the test and see if it if it was going to perform like we all hoped. And what we ended up coming up with was the Central Park Loop Challenge. And it was already an established FKT, um, but I looked at it and really felt as though it was something I wanted to try. Um, and so that's what we did. It was March of 2021. We, you know, we, like, I went back to Central Park, which is really cool. Coming back to where I finished my transcontinental run. It was like a coming home and also kind of a coming out party. Uh, as it was the first day of spring and people were starting to move around in New York City. So yeah, that's what I did. We took it on. Um, the parameters of that challenge is, is you have from the opening to the closing of Central Park, which is 6 a.m. till 1 a.m., um, to get in as many loops as possible. And uh, so I ended up doing 16 loops. It was uh, like a 98-mile effort in um, yeah in those, that, those hours. So... Uh, what is that? Like 17 hours and something. I think it took me or 18, 18 hours, uh, which was really awesome. It was fun. It was a really great way to, again, start to bring other people like viewers into the, into the effort. There's a film about it, a short film. Um, and it was really cool. It was definitely not my norm. Like it was really pushing for a hundred miles, trying to get it done as fast as possible. And it was only the second time I had run, ran the hundred mile distance. So we learned a lot again along the way, but really enjoyed it. Well, and also it's it's not like you're like exactly grinding through this. You ran essentially 100 miles in sub 20 hours, which I think is like a metric that a lot of people want to hit, right? How did you go from running 43 miles a day across the United States to all all of a sudden running, you know, twice that long in the span of less than 20 hours? Uh, yeah, it was, you know, really, it was just about, again, I started, I was, I focused on even higher mileage for that. Like in the months leading up to it, I was focusing on like 15 to 20 mile runs. Um, and I've never been one to do much speed workouts. So it, it was really just building a really strong base. Um, and then once getting out there, the Central Park Loop really provides a really great, like, course because it's it's a 10k essentially it's 6.1 miles and i found that that was the perfect amount to get around it and seek aid again so like i had like a stationary crew set up at tavern on the greens and was able to just come back around hit hit hydration hit some calories and then just keep going um it was great people watching you know it's super interesting it's a lot more interesting than running across oklahoma i'll tell you that uh but um yeah so definitely changed it up quite a bit again it was only the second time i'd ran that distance um so i was venturing into kind of new territory in a lot of places but i like to do that in general to keep it fresh i don't really want to repeat the same thing too many times right and i think that is reflected in what you ended up doing next which i think is like one of your more impressive, they're all impressive, but the Colorado crush really stood out to me just because technically it's just so much different than um, your previous endeavors, super mountainous terrain. And and also just like from a 
like size perspective, a lot, a lot more aggressive. Uh, but Colorado Crush was kind of born out of, again, out of that year of COVID. Uh, my wife and I realized that we could escape to the mountains. We lived in Denver, but we could go up into the mountains and we could social distance and have fun, just the two of us. And we ended up uh, that first kind of summer of COVID, we did um, 20, about 25 of the Colorado 14ers. There's 58 peaks in Colorado over 14,000 feet. And we were hiking, climbing those. And in that, I realized just like how happy I was up there, like how happy I was up, up, up above treeline, being in the mountains and started thinking like, well, how is a way that I could like devise a big effort that would keep me up here for the summer and I could learn and grow while, while pushing my limits up here. And I started looking at what were these big efforts that people take on in Colorado. And, you know, I started to kind of figure that it was those 14 years or 58 peaks over 14,000 feet. There's uh, the Colorado Trail, which is a 485-mile trail from Denver to Durango. And then the Leadville Trail Series, which is uh, an, a marathon in June, a 50-miler in July, and then culminates with the Leadville 100 in August. And then it, the question was like, well, could I do all these in one summer? Like, is that possible? And that's where the Colorado Crest was devised. Um, and that's what I did. So I started off and did the marathon, ran the Colorado Trail in 11 days, then I ran the, the Leadville 50, and then between the 50 and the 100, summited all 58 peaks over 14,000 feet, wrapped it up with the Leadville 100. So st statistics-wise, it was a 63-day effort, 1,200 miles, with 308,000 feet of elevation gain. So 308,000 feet, to put that in perspective, is the equivalent of climbing Mount Everest from sea to summit 10 and a half times in two months. How did your training differ between something like transcon to the colorado crush right because i imagine with your transcon route you know it's mostly on road if not all on road so you're you're kind of going around all of all of the major uh major mountains and kind of trying to minimize elevation gain whereas in the colorado crush it's like the complete opposite you're you're literally trying to like summit all of these peaks so i'm, I'm curious about that so yeah it was interesting um you know, in order to train and be prepared for the summer living in Denver, I was training in the winter. So I couldn't really get up into these mountains. So a lot of my training was kind of similar. And it was just like a lot of runs around town, but then escaping to like the foothills where I could to get on trails. What I have learned is the great thing about these, like, especially these multi-month efforts, is you have time to kind of condition and acclimate to it like in the effort itself. So I was as fit as I could, but by like the first time I, the, when I did the Leadville Marathon, there was still like a learning curve to get used to being on the trails and to really start, you know, developing the muscles needed to climb that type of elevation and stuff. Yeah, prepared as much as I could. I even spent some time in the gym, like working on like a, like a, I don't know if you call it a Stairmaster or what, but like one of those like revolving stair things. Um, but yeah, and then once I got out there, assuring that I hadn't peaked before the effort started and over the first month really getting stronger and stronger. And then, you know, by the time I was in the midst of the 14ers, I was just like a mountain goat. Like it was just, I couldn't really, at that point it was pretty funny. Uh, we would come back down into like some of these small, like mountain towns after being up all day. And it was, me and my, like whoever was with me, we were, we were joking quite a bit that I had a hard time walking the flats like I was so conditioned to going up or down, but like flats were just about impossible for me. Quads getting in the way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> it's it's wild to me how your body can kind of like work itself into shape you know um i know a lot of through hikers like it takes two weeks for them to go from hiking 10 miles a day to to cranking out 40 milers with no issue which is something i, I kind of want to get to later when it comes to like how you recover for these efforts but before we do that i think it's time to return to how we let off the show with with talking about your most recent project which included yeah outrunning a tesla can you tell us the story behind that yeah so yeah the uh the premise was is yeah can i outlast a tesla can i go longer than the battery life of a tesla and um this one was like born uh, with me in 10,000. we were talking through what i wanted to do this year looking at my calendar and i you know i expressed that i was interested in these 200 plus mile races there's the destination trail races there's three of those and now the coca donut 250. um they had had this idea of putting together a team a relay team to outlast the Tesla. And I was keen on that idea, but then we started looking at the distances for which a Tesla battery will go and looked at the three series, the smaller one, and realized that it was like a 250-ish kind of kind of mileage. And I was like, well, let's just do it that way. Like, let me just do it by myself and we'll do it with the three series. And that's, that's how I was born. And then it, the, the next question was like, well, where do you want to do it? And Having lived in Austin for all those years, I kind of wanted to come back and do something in the Texas Hill Country. Uh, I knew it would challenge me. Texas never fails to be a harsh, rough place. And uh, so that's what we settled on was around Austin. And it didn't disappoint. It was really hot and humid. And that ended up really being the theme of that run was it went from a race against Tesla to like a fight against Texas. Uh, It ended up being like 90, you know, 95 degrees with 80% humidity and having trained up here in Colorado, I was not prepared for that. Uh, But we got it done. It was definitely the hardest thing I've ever done. I would say that without a doubt. It was the longest continuous effort I've done, but also it was grueling. It, 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 it provided all, all the aspects you're looking for if you want to challenge yourself. (laughs) So how long did it end up taking you? It ended up being 77 hours, just under. Uh, so three days and a couple hours. Um, my initial goal was the hope was to get it done in 72 hours, but, um, that heat, uh, it, it, right off the bat on day one, it hit me in a way I didn't expect, which caused a lot of issues along the way. Um, one, just pushing through it, you know, you really, anybody that's does a lot of running knows that heat's probably the hardest thing that will decrease your performance. You know, it can really really decreased the performance going into the first night i had uh bad stomach cramps wasn't able to take on fluids or food for quite a while um i didn't urinate for eight hours which is a really bad bad thing when it comes to these efforts that was definitely making us all worry that maybe i would get to a point of dehydration where i couldn't continue but we were able to push through it um and then from there it was just starting to learn from that first day and better prepare for day two and three when that heat hit and we found that you know ice packs uh around my neck as i ran also putting my hands and wrists in ice at aid stations really helped to cool my core temperature down and allow me to continue and then another big aspect of this effort was a continued exploration of newcom newcom is a sponsor of mine it's this neuroscience technology that allows your brain to drop into alpha and theta waves which is where we go in deep meditation it's where your parasympathetic nervous system takes over and cellular recovery can happen so i was able to maximize downtime by using that Um, in the 77 hours i was 
at four hours and 50 minutes of downtime. And that was what we found was it was best to utilize that like in the heat of the day so that I could just like cool down for a minute, get some rest, get that lactic acid to kind of alleviate and then go back on my way. Yeah, that kind of pairs well with my next question, which was about sleep. Because I think, you know, that for a lot of people is the biggest obstacle before their bodies give out. Um, it's their brains, right? Like you can't run if you can't stay awake. So you mentioned that you had around four and a half hours of downtime. Were you sleeping or um, what were you doing? Just trying to get off your feet? So it was all spent again in this Newcom. So Newcom's a three-part system. It's uh, headphones that have these um, like uh, binaural beats, essentially, for lack of a better word. They're more comp- they're more complex than that. It's a patented patented like uh, frequency technology, uh, and then an eye mask, and then there's a small patch you put on your wrist that kind of helps you to fall into this state. Uh, so it's this very like melodic state between sleep and being awake, kind of where you would go again in deep meditation. And in that, it's lowering stress. It's lowering the stress within your body. It's lowering your mental stress. And that was allowing me to come back and have full mental acuity because one aspect of it that's a little bit different than a race is you're doing it on the, the side of the road. In, in Texas, you know, it's really, if you've ever been on a country road in Texas, it's really nice. They let you drive 75 miles an hour, but that gets a little more complicated and scary when you're running on the side of it. So there would become a point where my mental acuity, it was too dangerous to continue if I didn't get it back in line. And Newcom would allow me to do that. It would bring everything back into focus. And then we were able to continue. And so it's something that I utilize during these big efforts. I use it in Colorado Crush as well, but also just in life in general, it, it allows me to train hard and then like get a rest in and then come back to the rest of my day and perform all the rest of the duties that life requires. So let's get into uh, that side of your life a little bit more. Um, what do you do on a, on a daily basis these days apart from running? So running, um, you know, running has definitely become the center of my life. I'm very thankful and fortunate to have some really good, you know, partners and support in this. Uh, so I have sponsors and uh, it's my full-time job, essentially. So a lot of it is about training. It's about, um, you know, eating well, having, you know, really focusing on this whole food, plant-based diet. Um, and then there's just a lot of logistics that go into sustaining this lifestyle of coming up with new efforts and getting the logistics together to execute them and then doing things like we're doing right now, like having great chats with people, talking about what I do and stuff. So, um, you know, there's a lot going on. Uh, I'm really thankful that life's kind of on my terms. I get to choose these these audacious efforts and then go after them. Uh, something I'm working on right now is creating a platform for which I can bring attention to other people's big efforts. I think, as we talked about earlier in this conversation, it's this kind of different space within running an ultra world, which are these challenges. And the cool thing is, is they're happening all around us. There's a lot of people doing really innovative and cool stuff, but maybe a little more attention could be put on them. So I'm, that's where I've spent a lot of my time right now is trying to understand how I can contribute to widening the uh, audience for these kind of efforts. Well, I think you're doing a really good job of that. I know you mentioned that there's uh, a few movies attached or films rather attached to these projects. Can you tell people where where to find those and, and when they're coming out? Yeah, absolutely. So the Colorado Crush, um, I've been working on that film with a young filmmaker named Reese Robinson since since I finished it up in August of last year. Uh, the film is complete. We're really, really excited. Uh, we're going to release it. I think it's in about two weeks right now. So the best place right now to keep uh, you know 
keep in the know about that is through my social media. We'll be releasing like trailers on there and then links to where it can be viewed. And then following that up a couple weeks later will be the film about the Tesla effort. Um, another great filmmaker, Everett, uh, has been working on that. So those are two for me um, that I'm really, really excited about. We've been working hard on. The Colorado Crush is a little bit longer. It's 37 minutes. It goes a little more into my backstory and my why for all of these things, which I'm, I'm excited for people to understand a little bit more about me through that film. And then the Tesla one being much more like intense in the moment what that effort was like because it was a very intense experience uh and then on to other friends doing really cool stuff again i mentioned that guy william gooch uh he did 48 and 30 he did 48 marathons in 30 days in each of the 48 counties of england finishing with the london marathon for which he ran a 306 48 marathons in 30 days finishing with a 306 marathon it was impressive as could be i was there for it and he has a film out about that it's called 4830 you can find it on amazon prime you have to pay a couple bucks for it it's a feature length hour and a half long but it is an incredible film and i really think people should check it out but yeah those are kind of the bigger media like things going on around efforts that i've been involved with and i hope to just continue to grow that out and do more of that I'm heading to Lake Como in three weeks and just outside of Milan, Italy to help William with another effort. And we'll be filming that as well. I love the kind of like reciprocity that uh, is felt in these kind of communities, you know, like I'll crew you for this project and then you'll hop on and crew me for this one. Yeah. As, as we talked about earlier, it's a great way to, to make some really enduring friendships. Before I let you go, I am really curious about how well you recover as an athlete. I am friends with a few coaches that kind of reiterate how it's not necessarily like the training that gets you fit. It's the recovery and how well you can recover will ultimately determine your fitness. So you mentioned adopting a plant-based diet when you started running. I'm wondering how that happened and what that transition was like. Yeah, so it didn't come like immediately when I was started running, uh, when I was able to kind of explore that was when I left these restaurants and moved up to Denver. Uh, being in the restaurant scene, you're always kind of bound by the food that is served at the restaurants you work at because you spend so many hours there. Um, and leaving them was the first time I hadn't worked in a restaurant, you know, in my adult life. And I had read Scott Jurek's book, uh, was it Eat Run? Uh, where, you know, he's like, was one of the original pioneering plant-based, uh, athlete ultra runners. And I knew it was something I was interested in trying. And, uh, when I adopted it, I quickly found that my recovery time was just cut to say cut in half is like an understatement. It was, it was, it was, it was miraculous to be honest with you. Um, I remember when I was training in Austin, I'd go for long runs. And then the next morning, my, uh, girlfriend at the time, wife now, she would, she would really crack jokes at me because I'd like cobble to the kitchen to make coffee. I was so sore. And then eliminating those animal products, I found that I could just hop back up and jump right back into another run. Uh, and a lot of that, you know, for the most simple way of looking at it is meat causes inflammation and inflammation causes soreness. So by eliminating those, those, those aspects of my diet, I just wasn't sore. And it was just really cool experience to have that happen. Um, and then when running across the U.S., what I realized was, you know, every day I'd set out to run these big distances and you have a finite amount of energy that you get to choose how to, how to use. And by eating foods that were less laborious on my system, like sticking to plant-based foods, it left more energy for my legs to perform and to run. 
So that was a huge component for me. Um, when I was running across the U.S., the one thing that I had not really figured out ahead of time was like how to assure good quality sleep. And I was still like having like the, the part of bringing yourself down. You're pushing all day. You know, I would I assumed going into it that if I did that, I'd be tired at night and just crash. But the reality is, is like you're keyed up and you've been going all day and it was hard to hard to slow down and get quality rest. And that was where Newcom came in. I found that after the fact and was able to, to utilize that. But um, the plant-based diet is probably what I would say is my, my, you know, for lack of a better word, like superpower. You know, I set out to run across the U.S. to show that it was possible to do it on a plant-based diet, but I found along the way that it was actually the reason I was able to do it. So you're taking essentially a, a holistic approach to recovery, which I think is super important. I think, you know, a lot of folks foam roll for 10 minutes and then call it good and are disappointed when they wake up the next morning and they're super sore still. Yeah, your approach definitely takes more thoughtfulness, but seems to work. It works and it also like creates just a more quality, like overall, like quality of life to me. Like, you know, just like, finding these things that make me feel better day to day and and using them for performance reasons but also just to have like a good higher quality of life i think a lot of endurance athletes who are curious about adopting a plant-based diet struggle to get the caloric intake when they cut out certain sections of their previous diet um, and they obviously like aren't feeling properly so they start to feel pretty miserable and i'm wondering if you had any tips for uh, making that transition for super active folks that are kind of like hard charging? I think first and foremost is to like not focus on protein. I think we live in a protein fad society right now. And I think there's way too much emphasis put on it. Um, if you're eating whole food plant-based, that's going to show up where it needs to be. Uh, but then, you know, it does, it takes a little more quantity at times. That is kind of the beauty of meat is there's, there's a lot of calories packed into a small amount. But if you focus on like, you know, rice and beans and, you know, lentils and things like that, like your, your beans, your legumes are going to go a long way. Um, and also, yeah, it's more than eating salads. You know, you do need stuff of sustenance, more, more high caloric things, um, and what I've found that if you're wanting to adopt a plant-based diet, if you, especially in the beginning, there's nothing that you can't Google with the word vegan before or after it and you won't, you'll find a recipe. Like you don't even really have to change your habits too much in the, the types of food you like to eat. Um, and then over time, you can refine that and start eliminating is more of the processed stuff and just focusing on the more, more whole food plant-based side of it. Um, there's so many great resources out there now that, that there's really no excuse if you want to give it a try. It's just a little bit of Googling. You don't even have to buy books. Like it's, there's free resources everywhere. What are some good staples in your day-to-day -day diet, both just as like in come mealtime as well as uh, when you're running? So as far as mealtime, like I'm definitely not afraid of carbohydrates. Like, uh, you know, I'll often have a bagel in the morning with some vegan cream cheese spread of some sort on there, or just like a avocado toast goes a long ways for me. Um, muesli with like oat milk, another great option in the mornings, but throughout the day, uh, you know, I did mention earlier rice and beans. I think that you can cut a rice and beans about a hundred different ways, have different flavor profiles, which is really, really excellent. Uh, we do a lot of, 
of ethnic foods. So, you know, it, I think you'll find in most Asian foods, there's much less dairy that you have to worry about. And instead of incorporating the meat component, you can do tofu and things like that. Um, as far as during big efforts, a lot of it depends on the effort itself. If it's a pretty high frequency intense event, like say the Central Park Loop Challenge, I weighed heavily into um, you know, like some of the more healthy whole foods gels, like your spring energy and your humus, those go a long ways. Um, liquid calories coming from, uh, li liquid hydration. Right now I've been using a lot of BPN stuff, bear performance, performance nutrition out of Austin, Texas. He has, uh, Nick bear has a lot of really great stuff as well as scratch, which is out of Boulder. Love their stuff. Um, the multi-day stuff you need to really focus in on, more whole food stuff because you're going to wither away if you try to just stick with those things. And with that, it's, it's similar things to what I adopt in my daily life. Rice and beans, um, cold pasta, uh, potatoes, potatoes, potatoes. They go a long way. Salted, uh, salted boiled potatoes are massive for me. And then instant potatoes. Um, but yeah, there's all kinds of stuff. In big efforts, you find it's, you just need to get food in, whether it be Pringles or anything. <laughs> I think that's definitely a truth, right? Like if the if the furnace is hot enough, it'll it'll burn just about anything. But it, I'm sure it, it, it likes the cleaner stuff most of the time. It does, but when you get into big efforts, it is it, it turns into just like get the calories in. I want to eat whole food, plant based every day in life to keep myself healthy and happy. But in big efforts, like there's not like it's it's amazing. Like Coca Cola, right? Like it's amazing that people down this stuff every day. Cause it's really unhealthy for you. But as an athlete, when it gets into a big effort, it's a great energy source because it is so unhealthy and it provides a lot of calories quickly and on demand. Yeah. It's funny to see it recontextualized in that way. Seeing all these like really like, you know, top performing elite athletes drinking bottles of Coke is like, makes me do a, a double take sometimes. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, cool. So before I get you out of here, uh, I have to ask you what's next. Yeah, so for me, uh, you know, again, going to go to Lake Como, help William out. This summer, uh, having a lot of people come train with me up here in the Colorado Rockies, preparing a lot of people for the Leadville 100. Uh, most uh, most of note would be Hella that I mentioned earlier, Hella Sidibe. He's going to take on the Leadville 100 this year. So getting him up in the mountains, training with him, really excited to do that. And then in the fall, I'm going to take on the uh, Three Peaks Challenge. So it's the highest point in Wales, Scotland, and England and traversing in between them by foot. So a 450-mile effort that I hope to do in a week. Well, I am excited to follow that. Robbie, thanks for uh, chatting with me today. Thanks for having me on, Matt. This has been great. That's it for this edition of Off the Couch. I want to thank Robbie for the conversation, Justin Bob for producing this episode, and from all of us here at Blister, please take good care of yourself, keep moving forward, and we'll talk to you again next week. <laughs>